Well, I hope you have a Bible. Um, there are some of the red Bibles available for you to look in Hebrews for today's reading. And Jen is gonna come forward now and read from Hebrews and chapter eight. So I'll invite you forward, Jen, and we could be turning in Hebrews and chapter eight. Good morning. Hebrews chapter eight, starting in verse one. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it's enacted on better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities. I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. We ask for your help as we look at this passage together. Teach us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Hopefully that can be our anthem, Jesus strong and kind. What great words. I wonder if you've ever had an experience like I had recently. Now, like some of you, like most of you maybe, we've had a mortgage with the bank for some years now. I'm not gloating, I'm just saying we have a mortgage. And um, I started to wonder if we really had the best terms, the best deal in terms of rates and repayments. So I filled out the online form and I pressed submit. Now a couple of days later I missed a call from the bank, but eventually they got through to me and I got speaking with one of their employees. Now this was, um, after, after, after all, it was actually a very, very, very short phone call. Because as this employee explained to me, we already had the best deal. And it was better than anything else they or any other bank 
could offer us. Is there anything else I can help you with today, Mr. McConnell? Well, the answer was really out there in our 20-second conversation, wasn't it? No, there was nothing else. We already had the best deal out there. Now, now since that conversation, I have like never before started to uh, appreciate again the great deal, the a deal that the might have made me undervalue. I think I'm coming in and out there. Maybe if I try again. Maybe I'll get another mic on standby just in case. It's amazing what that does, though, isn't it? When you hear about your good deal, I had sort of forgotten how good it was. Well, now, the writer of the Hebrews, he's on the phone to us right now. I'll, I'll just tell you that. Like he was to the original recipients of this letter in the first century. And he's assuring long-term, long-time Christians that with Jesus, we really are on the best deal. And as he explains it here in chapter 8, you know what this has the potential to do for you and me? It can provide us with something new. A fresh appreciation, maybe, of something we probably knew at one time, but this deepening appreciation that could be a catalyst for your growth as a Christian and perseverance as a Christian this year. That's, that's what we're offered here in the Bible this morning. Maybe a chance to think again about the big deal, the best deal that'll help us keep going as Christians. Well, here from Hebrews chapter eight, there are at least three things to appreciate. Okay, three things to appreciate. Number one, appreciate the better location of Jesus' ministry, verses one to six. Appreciate the better location of Jesus' ministry. Well, let's have a look from verse one here of chapter eight. The writer says, now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. So Christians, as he's been explaining, Christians have Jesus Christ, and he's the one whom God appointed to provide us with permanent access to him. Jesus, as we saw at the end of chapter 7, and you can look back there, verses 25 and 26, Jesus is the perfect, the holy, innocent, unstained one, separated as he is from sinners. He's the exalted one. And so he turns now and draws our attention, the writer does, to the location of Jesus' ministry for us. Where is Jesus? Well, he's at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Do you know what that means? This location in heaven, it means that Jesus' is a, a much better ministry than any earthly located priesthood of the old covenant, those priests served here on earth. So the writer says it's all about location, location, location with Jesus. And no priesthood here can better the location of the Lord Jesus. Look where he's seated. He's got this exclusive access to Almighty God in heaven. 
And any priests of any religion, and particularly here in mind is the religion of the Jews, the old covenant, they're all tied to earth. But not Jesus, verse two. He's a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Of course, if you remember your Old Testament history and you think back to to what was set up, there was a tabernacle, a tent of meeting. That was really important. God told his people to put that up. But the point being made comes here in verse five. You see, these things on earth, have a look at verse five. These things on earth are a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. So as it was on earth, here it was, it provided a picture, that tabernacle, the tent. But it was merely that, just a copy, just a shadow of the true tent, verse two. And just as we saw the priests who served in the old covenant, well, they were so limited because, well, they were gonna die. And so they had to be replaced time and again. But the writer says, so too is, is their location inferior because they, they're in the earthly place. Their place of worship is right here. It's just a copy tied to earth, a shadow of where Jesus Christ, that Melchizedekian priest where he serves. It's interesting, isn't it, how he's developing this argument. Jesus is better, his location. He's much, much superior in terms of where he is, this access to God. Those institutions of the old covenant, they did have a purpose, but they were not God's final purpose. And so to the recipients of this, um, of this letter, here's the challenge. Why would you go back? Why would you go back to the old stuff, fixating on, depending on religious rituals that were just mere shadows of that ultimate priesthood. Over the years, I've had conversations with lots of people who find a real comfort in what you might call religion, doing rituals. It gives you a a familiarity, a contentment, tradition. But the Bible here points us to appreciate how much better it is to focus our attention on on the one who ministers at the very right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Why would we settle for religion, for comfort, when we've got Jesus Christ? Why would we let our focus drop, if you like, onto even the most magnificent structures here on earth? They're just shadows, and some not even. Shadows of the great presence of God. And they're located here with foundations built into the earth. Our better priest has the location location, location. And he always lives to make intercession for us as we saw back in the end of chapter seven, verse 25. Priests on earth, well, they're bound by this inferior location, not Jesus. And that's the first thing to appreciate. But we're gonna move on now because in these same few verses, the writer moves from getting us to appreciate the better location of Jesus and his ministry to secondly here, to appreciate the better sacrifice of Jesus. So better location, and now secondly, the better sacrifice. Look from verse three. 
The writer says, for every priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also, that is Jesus, also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. You see those old covenant priests? Well, they had jobs. And the main job of a priest is what? Well, to offer sacrifice, to offer gifts, verse 3. That's what priests do. And these are, are described here as offerings according to the law. Now, what was set out in the old covenant was how they would go about their business and do their priest stuff, doing the things that priests do according to the law. And, and so what about the better priest, Jesus? Well, firstly, the writer explains Thus, it is necessary for this priest, that is Jesus, also to have something to offer. So, in other words, if Jesus has a priesthood, he must too make a sacrifice. Jesus, the better priest, has an offering to make, and he does. But you're probably picking up that Jesus' priesthood, it's totally out of this league, it's different. It's not on the earth. And you may have noticed as you've read the Gospels, did Jesus ever go into the temple in Jerusalem? Well, yes, he did. But did he ever go into the temple, into the Holy of Holies? That's never described in the Gospel. He never went into the temple to act as a priest here on earth. Remember, we've seen that he had a heavenly priesthood, access to God himself. He didn't need to go in and do priest things here on the earth, no. Jesus' priesthood would be very differently located and also very different in terms of his sacrifice. Now, one of the commentators puts this really well, and it'll go up on the screen. Look at this. He offered, that is, Jesus offered what no other priest in the history of Israel had ever done. He offered himself. Amazing, isn't it? The priest who offers himself. Don Carson puts it like this. He says, Jesus is not only the priest, he is the sacrifice. You may have heard about Jesus' sacrifice quite often. We've been singing, haven't we? He gave himself. He went to the cross. He sacrificed himself. God gave him as the sacrifice for our sins. But do we ever take in the magnitude of it? Well, that's what the writer's asking us to do. He's urging us, take it in. It's better than anything else, any religion or priest could sacrifice. In fact, it's the very heart of the Christian good news, the gospel. And as Paul put it to the Corinthians, he said, here's the most important thing. You're taking notes, here's the most important thing Paul said. He said, the most important thing is the gospel that he wanted to remind them of. The good news, Christ died for our sins, the sacrifice. And you see, that's how we gain access to God. Not by doing good things, as many of them as we could clock up. Not by being religious, as religious as we could ever be, or by carrying out rituals to make God accept us, no way. Only by trusting in that better priest with the better sacrifice who gave himself. Maybe the passage of time since you heard this deal 
or the preoccupation with life events has made you undervalue this better sacrifice. And it could be, and, and for some people it's a fascination with religion or heritage or upbringing. I remember a, a real interest in church architecture when I was uh, an older teenager, and it sort of it intersected with my love of history and my history degree, and I, I love church architecture, but sometimes those fascinations can distract us from the centrality of the only sacrifice that can bring you and me sinners into a relationship with God. Imagine this. Imagine you got plans drawn up for a new house, and as part of those plans, the architect, he made a really lovely scale model for you, a bit like Dermot Bannon does. You know those little models, and he lifts the roof off, and you get to peek in and see this wonderful light-filled space that's going to change our life. Well, imagine you got these plans drawn up, and Dermot gave you this lovely little model, and you're waiting for your plans to be completed. So you have it in your desk or in your room, and you, you even play with it yourself sometimes. You sort of look in, and you lift the roof, and you open and close the little doors, and you watch the little people, and you think, that's an amazing model. But you know, as soon as the real building, your new house is completed, wouldn't you rather live there in the real building than play and pour over that little model? Wouldn't you rather be in the real thing? Just like when I was 17, and maybe a bit before it, I left the model cars on the shelf that I had loved from a child for the real thing, the car that I could drive and enjoy for myself. You see, that's what's happening here, isn't it? Don't settle for the model of religion and religious practice. Look at the real thing, the real priest, the better deal, the better priest, in the better location, with the better ministry. And as we persevere as Christians, and it's not easy, this will help us to persevere when we appreciate the better sacrifice of Jesus. And, and it could be that you've immersed yourself in other religions or philosophies. Well, the Bible shows us Jesus who gave himself, he's better. Sometimes a, a good deal gets a bit overlooked, doesn't it? I'm sure plenty of pizza flyers have come into your house as they've come into mine, and they only made their way to the recycle bin. There might have been a good deal there. But if only you'd ever glanced in the direction of Jesus and the gospel, well, that's opportunity here for you today if you don't know Christ. Don't skip this better deal. Don't just listen for a day and move on appreciate the better sacrifice that Jesus offers. Verse six here of chapter eight, have a look at it again. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it's enacted on better promises. Well, number one, let's keep going. We need to appreciate the better location of Jesus' ministry. Number two, Appreciate the better sacrifice the Lord Jesus gave himself. And now number three, the writer tells us to appreciate the better covenant, verses seven to 13. Now we're not gonna spend long here, but follow with me with verses six and seven here. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better 
since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant, the old covenant, had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. What's going on? So better location, better sacrifice. Christians, don't you see, the writer says, you have a better covenant. In fact, you've got the best deal there was. There's nothing else in the market like it. You are on the best rate. And so the argument's simple. Why would God have given you a better deal, the new covenant through Jesus Christ, if the old covenant had been good enough, if it had been faultless? Well, you see, he, that's why he gave the new covenant, because there was something not quite there with that old one, as good as it was, as God-given as it was. And in these verses, there's two reasons why a new covenant was needed. Did you spot them? Firstly, the old covenant, as we've been seeing, was provisional, a copy, a shadow. From God, yes, it was good, yes, given by him, absolutely, but it always pointed forward. It was provisional. And secondly, look at the start of verse 8. There was a problem, a fault with the old covenant people. Have a look at verse 8. Very simply, before he gets to this quotation, he says, for he finds fault with them, with the people of the old covenant, when he says, and then he goes through this quotation from Jeremiah 31. Have a look at that quotation. It sort of stands out on the biblical text, doesn't it? Did you know, incidentally, that this is the longest quotation from the Old Testament in the New Testament here in Hebrews 8? The longest one. There are often quotes, but this is the longest. And we're going to see why in a minute that it's worth quoting in full. But what does he say about them? Verse 8. He says, well, these people of the old covenant, well, they broke it, didn't they? If you read your Bible. Again and again, God had provided a system, a deal to be their God, and they were to be his people. But again and again, these people turned from him. And now the writer says, look at the terms of the new covenant. Here's a better deal that God promised through the prophet Jeremiah. He says, look at it, consider it, appreciate it. Look at this new deal God provided when things with his people had gone so disastrously wrong. Now, our time's nearly up, but I want you just to have a look and meditate on this. We're going to pick out just a couple of things in this text, this long quotation from Jeremiah 31, these wonderful verses. Have a look. It's going to be a new covenant, verse 8, with the house of Israel. Verse 9, it'll not be like the covenant I made with their fathers. So it's different. It's going to be a new covenant. It'll not be the same. And look at verse 10. Have a look. God says he will put this new law into their minds and write it on their hearts. The old one, remember, written on tablets of stone, but not this one. God will give his people a new nature. He'll write it on their hearts and their minds. In John 3, Jesus describes it as new birth. Look at the terms of this better deal. Look at verse 11. Everyone will know the Lord, verse 11. This is going to be about personal relationship, not based on external things like religion, but on what? What's the deal based on? All you good lawyers. What are the terms and conditions? Look right to that verse 12 that comes right at the end of this amazing quotation. What's it based on? God's amazing forgiveness.
This is remarkable. You see, it's a new kind of relationship between God and his people. Not a religious contract. If you're a Christian, look at Jesus and appreciate the better terms of this deal today. God's renewing, transformative laws written on our hearts. God's establishment of a a new relationship with each one of his people. And if you're a Christian, that's happening for you too. You see, it's not external anymore on tablets of stone. It's now written on our hearts. From the time we accept Christ, something transformative begins as God establishes an amazing relationship with us, with his people, and all that based on my own efforts to make God like me, my own efforts to prove to God how good I am, my religious rituals, not one bit of it, on God's forgiveness, even when we still mess up and do wrong. What a deal. Isn't that amazing? Here's a contract that God has given his people that means God will stand by it and the terms on our side are so, so, so sweet. What a gracious, loving God. What a better location the Lord Jesus is in for his ministry. What a better sacrifice he gave himself. And what a better covenant announced through Jeremiah and now that has come to being through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. It's the best deal. Take it from the Bible. And even when we're sometimes distracted or forget what a good rate we're on, if we're Christians, the Bible says, come back and look again. Appreciate what's in front of you. The Bible says, look at it. And you know, if you're not a Christian, the Bible says, come again you today too. Come and take the deal. It's there for you. It can be yours. Stop checking the market for something better. Come to Jesus for God's mercy and forgiveness a relationship with God that can rewrite our sinful, broken selves. There's nothing else like this on the market, nothing at all. Here's something that offers us life. Now, just as we finish, if you're, if you're finding it tough going as a Christian at the moment, well, the message here is to appreciate what you have and keep going. Better deal, the best deal. Well, why don't I pray for us that the Lord will help us? Father, in the Christian life, we get so distracted from what you have done for us in Christ. But your word teaches us that this is the best deal. So even when we lift the phone to all those other outlets looking for something better, would you remind us through your word, through your son, that this is the best deal? Father, thank you. Would that be our response as we look again at the wondrous mystery of the cross? We thank you for what you've done for us in Christ. Help us to keep going with him and to persevere. We ask it in his name. Amen.